10,000 delegates and interested parties are meeting in Bali, Indonesia to tackle the problem defined as global warming. We'll discuss their fix, which could be expensive. And studies show that 70 to 80% of churches in Texas are plateauing or declining. What's to be done? Also, we'll discuss the Colorado shootings this weekend. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. Either they will ask, what were you thinking? Why didn't you act? Or they will ask instead, how did you find the moral courage to rise and successfully resolve a crisis that so many said was impossible to solve? That's Al Gore saying that the next generation is going to ask one of two questions. Of course, this was his acceptance speech. Uh, Yesterday, he accepted the Nobel Peace Prize for his work on global warming. And uh, he had a lot more to say. We are going to talk about global warming uh, a little bit later in the program. There's a climate change conference taking place in Bali, Indonesia. The Kyoto Climate Treaty expires in 2012. It went into effect in 1997. Delegates in Bali right now are looking for a policy fix to succeed the Kyoto Treaty. It really hasn't taken much effect. It hasn't done much. Uh, This time, these delegates want the United States to sign on. But would this fix for this so-called problem of global warming have negative economic consequences? We're going to ask uh, Bill Novax. He is from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and I think he'll have some answers that will interest you. Also, what do churches that have plateaued or are losing members have to do to revitalize themselves? We're going to ask a leader from the Southern Baptists of Texas, can dry bones live again? You won't want to miss that later in the program. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Penna Dexter. I'm sitting in for Dr. Johnson, and it's very interesting uh, looking at these shootings, church shootings, uh, shootings at the uh, organization Youth with a Mission that took place in Colorado uh, Sunday and uh, uh, Saturday night. My husband was in Colorado Springs on business Sunday and Monday, and he brought me back the newspapers. So I've been looking at this, and I think there are some questions that we can look at with regard to this. Colorado Springs uh, Police Chief Richard Myers was talking about it. Uh, he said that a security guard at the New Life Church shot and killed the suspect, probably preventing a much greater tragedy. When the officers arrived, they found that the active shooter had been shot by a security staff member of the church, a courageous security staff member who probably saved many lives today. 
And, uh, of course, we know that the New Life Church is the church that was started and pastored by Ted Haggard. Uh, the newspaper from Colorado Springs says, first a wayward pastor, then a gunman in the parking lot. But many New Life Church members interviewed Sunday spoke of their resolve to stick with a church that has suffered more than its share of recent setbacks. And, you know, you have to wonder, why do things like this happen? I mean, there, there have been lots of answers posed, and I'd love to hear from you. Why do you think something like this would happen? Our number is 800-881-9270. Shirley Dobson was quoted. Uh, She said, the reason it happened is simply because of the cultural violence in which we live. We just live in a world where there are bad people who do bad things. Uh, of course, we also know from the news report uh, that this young man who uh, perpetrated the shootings was denied shelter on Saturday night, very late, uh, at a missionary training facility for youth with a mission. And uh, so he turned on uh, one of the people there and shot uh, that person and another person and killed them. Uh, another reason that's been posited has been uh, because God gave people free will and that this was an act of selfishness. So that's that's a possible reason. Uh, and then hatred for Christianity, hatred for this new life church, uh, hatred for youth with a mission. Uh, of course, this young man said that uh, he was uh, upset because he had not been able to join the training program there. They turned him away because of health problems uh, a few years earlier, and uh, we're wondering about those health problems. Were they mental health? Uh, also, maybe it happened because the church was just turning a corner, and so uh, something bad had to happen because uh, Satan didn't want to see this church succeed. Uh, some people have said, well, it's just the end times, and uh, this is these things are going to happen in the end times. Other people have said the gunman was a tool of Satan, and uh, some people have said, well, God had nothing to do with this. This is just the nature of man. And uh, then I've heard people say and read, uh, this is just a failing moral climate, and it's really the result of taking God out of our public schools. Well, do you have a, a reason in your head why you think something this horrible would happen? Can you imagine going into a church on Sunday, leaving that church, being in the parking lot, and all of a sudden somebody uh, opening fire? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. Well, the security guard at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, her name was uh, Jean Awesome, and she is credited with stopping the shooter from killing or injuring more people. Uh, she said she heard about the shootings that took place uh, in Arveda at the YWAM facility the night before, before going to church. I just prayed that morning that God would keep us all safe, and that if something happened, He'd protect the pastor, and that we'd all we would all know exactly what to do. Certainly, God answered that prayer. Uh, Jean Awesome said she prayed when the gunman entered the church with this high-powered rifle. God was with me, and the whole time I was behind cover. This has got to be God because he's, because of the firepower that he had and versus what I had. Well, uh, certainly there's a lesson here having to do with guns uh, and the fact that uh, guns are the great equalizer for women because uh, she is certainly not a scary-looking person at all, and she didn't have the firepower that the shooter had, but she had uh, something that could stop this, and uh, that was a weapon. Well, let's go to Jack and Benbrook. Jack, thanks for calling. Well, you know, a lot of questions are asked when death comes. It comes in many forms, and I have faced it three times in my life. And I can tell you with a certainty there's only one reason why these things happen, and that is to glorify God. And that's it, because you'll not find an answer anywhere else. 
Well, God certainly gets the glory uh, with regard to answering the prayers of uh, of Jean Awesome. I mean, she prayed that morning that God would show them what to do. That's right, and, and that's and that's the only if if you can grab a hold of that, and if you can come to terms with your relationship with the Lord and the fact that it's just glorifying God is why bad things happen. God has used bad things throughout history as long as we have writings to get our attentions. And it's unfortunate that things like these things happen. You can't understand why children were killed in wars. You can't understand a lot of things, and you cannot put a grasp on it, and then you tend to blame God. And the fact is that it is not God. It is allowed to be happen, but you can find glorification in him in every instant. And it doesn't always happen when the grieving process is on. Jack, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate those words. And, you know, it's still, though, uh, you've got reactions that run the gamut from this is for God to be glorified, uh, God allowed this, God had nothing to do with this. I mean, people are are saying different words uh, with regard to their theological opinion on this as we look at something like this. Well, Jean Assam, uh, the, uh, the young woman, 42 years old, who uh, stopped the shooter from shooting any more people, said on the Sunday of the shooting she was completing a three-day fast, seeking God's will for her life. That was the purpose of my fast, and so I was uh, weak. And where I was weak, God made me strong, and he filled me, and he guided me and uh, protected me and, and many other people. And I'm, I'm honored that God chose me. Now, I have heard one uh, news report that he actually may have shot himself uh, when faced with her, with her weapon, and uh, we will get more information on that. Uh, But in any case, uh, she certainly didn't run from the situation as she confronted him. And uh, because of that, many, many people were saved. Let's go now to Emmanuel in Dallas. Emmanuel, thank you for calling. Thank you very much. Um, What I think right now is that um, American by and large is, becoming a hub of demons and stuff like that. Um, Is becoming what? I'm sorry, I didn't understand those words. I said, um, America, by and large, is becoming a hub of demons and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, Because, you know what, what I think right now is all these incidents happening is the work of the devil. So what America needs to do right now is to stand up and pray. You know, because the Bible said we should resist the devil and he will flee from us. You know, the last time I, I had the Omaha incident, you know, eight people were killed. You know, when you look at all In these Omaha, happening, right. you right. know, it's simply the work of the devil. So what we need to do right now as one nation is to stand up and then pray against all these schemes of the evil ones. Prayer. Because you know what? You, you don't want the work of God to succeed. And we are, we are, we are heading towards the end time. All these things are, you know, biblical prophecies, and I know okay. that. Okay. Hey, yeah. Emmanuel, i got to go on to someone else. Uh, thank you so much for those words, and certainly uh, to pray now uh, is a, a good idea. As a matter of fact, uh, I guess we ought to pray whenever we go into a public place. Uh, again, oh, I've just learned that the latest reports say that Gene Assam uh, did shoot uh, the shooter, Mr. Murphy, multiple times, but the fatal, fatal shot was actually self-inflicted. And uh, she said that she confronted the gunman and then shot him. I did not run away, and I didn't think for a minute to run away. I just knew that I was given the assignment to, to, to end this. Let's go back to the phones, 800-881-9270. We're talking about why we think this happened. Scott in Dallas. Thanks, Scott, for calling. 
Hi, thanks. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, uh, just real quick. Um, when I was a kid, my mom was killed by a drunk driver, and people would say to me all the time, uh, and a lot of my family, the way they use, the way they would comfort themselves, I guess, is just saying, you know, well, that was God's time for her. You know, that was her time to go. And and I just could never really agree with that. I don't believe that God's will for her life was that she would be dead in the peak of life at the hands of a drunk driver. That's the will of Satan. Satan is the one who goes about looking to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, yeah, God can be glorified, like the caller said, in all sort in, in every situation. But God's will is not that we should be hurt and killed and maimed and you know these these terrible things. That's the work of Satan. That's the devil at work. That is not God at work. Now, you know, God allows these things, obviously, and God could stop them if he wanted to, but for whatever reason, you know, his will is to allow those types of things to happen. But to, to say that God is the catalyst behind these things, I just have a real difficult time, you know, uh, accepting. Scott, thank you so much for your call, and certainly uh, we're sorry for your loss at such a young age. Uh, death is a result of, of sin. We each have an appointed day. Uh, I do know that Satan may have been the author of uh, your mom's death or for, or this tragic shooting, but uh, God also uh, is able to uh, overrule Satan, uh, so for some reason he did not in these cases. But death is God's judgment on us. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says so. And uh, Satan does not have greater power than God to kill. Uh, And God is glorified in these things. And uh, always as we look back on two bad things that happened in our life and some of these horrible tragedies, uh, we are able to see God working through them. And that was certainly uh, even already the case with Jean Assam. She says she's been reflecting on what happened Sunday. I've had some quiet time with God, and I've had a lot of people pray with me and uh, just thanked him. And I'm, I'm... in, in more awe of him than I was even before. And, of course, the pastor uh, there at the church, uh, he's formerly from the Metroplex, uh, Brady Boyd. He's the newly named pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, and he uh, talked about the tragedy and how this church will respond. It's unfortunate that we live in a society where this happens, but it does. Our church will has gone through difficult times in the past. Our church will survive and do well. And uh, we need to pray for uh, this church, New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we need to be expectant as to what God will do there. Well, next up, we are going to talk about the Bali Conference on Climate Change, the fix for global warming. Will it break the bank? That's next on Jerry Johnson Live. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. We have everything we need to get started, save perhaps political will. But political will is a renewable resource. So let us renew it and let us say together, we have a purpose. For this purpose, we will rise and we will act. Al Gore in Oslo, Norway, accepting the Nobel Peace Prize for his work on global warming, his uh, movie, The Inconvenient Truth, and Inconvenient Truth, and uh, he there is urging political leaders, the folks who are gathered in Bali, Indonesia, to back some tough climate policies. He also says that the U.S. and China must show more leadership. It should be absolutely clear that it is the two largest CO2 emitters, and most of all my own country, that will need to make the boldest moves or stand accountable before history for their failure to act. Well, certainly the United States should be a leader, and uh, certainly we are developing technology to uh, combat pollution and uh, quote-unquote global warming, whether that's a problem or not, is uh, something that's up for discussion. There are some skeptical sciences, uh, scientists there in Bali who say that uh, global warming is actually a non-problem. They're worried about uh, what the fix will do to uh, certain economies. One scientist, Professor Dr. William Alexander, he's Professor Emeritus of the University of Pretoria in South Africa, and he uh, is warning that poor nations and their residents... Uh, face some uh, some trouble ahead uh, with some of these policies that are being promoted there, that actually these U.N. policies could mean more poverty and thus more death. In fact, I'm quoting him, my message is specifically for the poor people of Africa, and there is nothing happening at this conference that can help them one little bit, but there is the potential that they could be damaged. Well, what about the United States? Uh, what about our businesses? What about our economy? And what about your pocketbook. Uh, with us now to discuss that is William Kovacs. He is vice president of the United States Chamber of Commerce. He's been with us before. Bill, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Bill, uh, they're talking over there in Bali. There are about 10,000 people, some with a vested interest in global warming, others who are sincere and really want to try and fix it. U.S. did not participate in the Kyoto Protocol. We may not participate in any kind of treaty, but we certainly will be pressured to do something. Uh, what is the fix that is uh, sort of top of list being discussed there? Well, let, let, let me just, before, you, before I even get into the fix, let me just make a comment. The, the, there are actually about 15,000 uh, of, of these individuals over in, in Bali. They all flew. They all used uh, tens of thousands. They all produced tens of thousands of tons of, of carbon. Uh, and they think somehow that they, if they buy credits and somebody plants a tree, that they really didn't sin. Right. I mean, this, this is, these people are just complete and total hypocrites. And we need, to, we need to just move beyond that. The second thing is your comment on the scientists who said um, some of the proposals will cause poverty. Um, that's exactly what they will do. What, what these people in Bali are talking about and what Al Gore is talking about is literally limiting our ability to use energy. He is saying to the, to the rest of the world, those of us who can buy credits, let us continue to buy them so we feel good. The rest of you, stop eating. Stop driving your cars. Stop heating your homes. Because what we're talking about on some of the proposals is literally over the next 15 years cutting our, our ability to use energy by about 25%, and over 40 years cutting our ability to use energy by about 70%, and there's not one single ounce 
of, of thought that has been put into what's going to be the energy that replaces fossil fuels. And this is where, it, this is where the problem comes in. If you want to know why the Bush administration is not signed on to Kyoto, it is not going to want to sign a death warrant for the economy of this country. So uh, will the Bush administration sign on to any kind of agreement that's made there in Bali? I would be very surprised if they do. There's an enormous amount of disagreement. The only nations of the world that seem really to be pushing for uh, some continuation of Kyoto is the European Union and, and, and Australia. They seem to be pushing that. And the European Union, it's just, it's really all about money. Show me the money. Uh, they tried this scheme over the last uh, 10, or 10 or 12 years. We've actually been able to, to, to reduce our CO2 levels uh, or intensity a, a lot more than they have. They, they started this program. They have an enormous number of cheap credits that no one is using. And one of the things that the U.S. Congress would like to do is allow our industry to buy these credits from uh, the, the EU. It's not, as, it's not bad enough that the euro uh, is one and a half times the size of the, 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 the price of the dollar, and now we're going to buy their credits to bail them out. I mean, this is a ridiculous situation getting even more foolish as, as, as we move forward into the discussion. In a sense, if you want to take a religious reference, this is like buying indulgences. It is. It, okay. It, I, I, use, I, I think that's, that's great. It's like going to confession and saying, Father, I've sinned, but you know, I really like it, so how about if I pay you? Right. Okay, now you mentioned Australia. Now, they didn't sign on to Kyoto, did they? Uh, they, they did not sign on, but, they're, but they are going to sign on. They've got a new leader now, yeah. uh, Kevin Rudd, and uh, he says that uh, he's interested in battling global warming. Well, you talked about Europe, and it's very interesting. I noticed uh, earlier in the Wall Street Journal uh, a piece by Gwyn uh, Prim and Steve Rayner, and uh, they are with the London School of Economics and Political Science, and also uh, the other one is from Oxford. They say, where emissions reductions have happened, notably in Eastern Europe, reunified Germany, and the United Kingdom, they were the result of unrelated policies such as the collapse of communism (laughs) and with it the shutdown of highly inefficient and polluting industries, or Margaret Thatcher's smashing of union power by destroying the British coal industry, which meant the substitution of coal by cleaner North Sea gas. So uh, some of these things that had nothing to do with the Kyoto Protocol of 1997 are the reasons for any reductions that have happened. But if you strip out those two, you actually have a 10% increase between 1990 and 2005 in CO2 emissions. So uh, really, it's not working, is it? It's not. And that was a great article, by the way. I mean, they really hit it, hit it right on the head. And, but, but the other thing, the other part of the article uh, that I'd just like to mention is that when the Russian, when the Soviet Union collapsed, what happened is they ended up getting uh, credits, carbon credits, because they had no economy left, so they weren't producing anything and there was no emissions. Uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, Russia signed on to uh, Kyoto is because they had their their economy had already been destroyed and they were actually going to get their credits were going to get purchased again it's all about money okay now uh, Bill Kovacs is with me he's from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce let's talk about uh, the United States and let's just assume that right now we are going to accept that global warming is happening and we need to do something about it. Now, that's up for grabs, but let's just assume that. Uh, we've already got industries working on techn- technological solutions. Uh, so should we allow the free market to continue in that direction, or we should, should we start requiring the purchase of these credits and also the use of renewable fuels as the Congress has attempted to do this week? Well, there's no way in the world that the 
that the government of the United States or of, of any other government uh, possibly could know how to manage the economy for the next 40 or 50 years, which is exactly what Congress is, is trying to do. Uh, we have spent more money on research and development or science uh, of global climate change than all of the nations of the world combined. We've spent about $16 billion, and, and that that is truly remarkable. In the Energy Policy Act of 2005, there are 70 technologies that this country is is now exploring, everything from fuel cells to uh, carbon capture. Or the economists are very clear in their testimony that if you mandate the reduction of energy before you have new energy to put in its place, the economy will collapse and it will be more expensive to deal with the problem. That you have to begin developing the technologies first. And that's really been where the U.S. Chamber is, that there are several really immutable facts. One is, whatever you do, it's going to be a trillion-dollar problem, so you have to have a strong economy to pay for it. Second, it's got to be international. We, we recognize that because the vast bulk, two-thirds of all of the emissions in the future are going to come from developing nations. And third, we have to develop the technology, as you had said, and we have to deploy that technology where the emissions are going to occur. And that's partially in the United States, but it's also in other parts of the world. And when we start finding that kind of a treaty, uh, I'm sure we will be supportive of it. But to have a treaty where the government mandates how the, the economy is going to operate and who uses energy, just remember, the government will decide who uses the energy for the next 40 years. And I just don't think anyone's going to buy into that when they, find, when they realize that it's the government telling who is going to have an allocation of energy. Well, you have Al Gore and An Inconvenient Truth trying to convince the public and uh, even uh, someone I know who is at Baylor University in an environmental class this semester, that was the unit uh, on the envi- on global warming. The whole unit was just Al Gore's movie, Let Al Gore Teach This Subject, because he knows more. And I think a lot of people see him as an authority. But what it really is about, uh, Bill, is not is it sort of a global socialism run by the U.N.? Yes, it's it's a good way to describe it. I'd, I'd probably put it more in the religious context. I mean, the Iranians have their uh, uh, their ayatollahs, and, and we have our prophets like Al Gore. Uh, most hmm. of the most of the prophets have been wrong. Uh, years ago, we published a little green book, which was quotations from great environmentalists, and it was amazing. Virtually everything that was stated in the book uh, was wrong. They had the collapse of the world going on. Uh, in the 1940s and the 1970s, they had global cooling. Then in the 1990s, we had global warming. Now the environmentalists have just changed it to climate change, so they're the right whether it goes either way. And uh, that's what we're dealing with, a lot of uh, misconceptions. Uh, an English court found many flaws in, in Gore's book, mm-hmm. that the facts were incorrect. But, you know, when you're dealing with profits, it's religion, not fact. William Kovacs, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, thank you so much for being with us today. We certainly appreciate your input. Thanks. Bye. Well, you know, there's a lot of ice in the central part of the United States, even uh, getting as far and as close to us as uh, certain parts of Oklahoma. Must be global warming. Ice occurring over a large portion of the country, all the way from the southern plains, uh, east, north, eastward, across the central U.S., and even into portions of the Ohio Valley. And uh, that is National Weather Service meteorologist Brian Corty describing the recent ice storm that hit a large section of central U.S. Hundreds of thousands of people lost power. At least 15 people died. Is that global warming? Well, next up, we are going to talk about churches who are either plateauing in membership or losing members. What's to be done about it? A representative from the Southern Baptist 
Convention of Texas will be with us and we'll talk about it. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back to Jerry Johnson Live. I am Penna Dexter sitting in for Dr. Johnson today, and we're so glad you're with us. You know, here in the state of Texas, we are looking at 70 to 80 percent of churches that are remaining flat in membership or declining in growth. Now, the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention has a plan to change that. It's a strategy called the Ezekiel Project. And uh, with us to discuss it is sort of the mastermind of this strategy. He is Jim Gatliff. He actually joined the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention in September, and he splits his energy between uh, the convention's missions, evangelism, and also minister church relations departments. Thank you so much for joining us, Jim. It's good to be with you. Now, is it even correct to have a strategy for growing the church? Uh, well, certainly strategy is always involved, but I'd like to, to cast it more as uh, really helping a church uh, see the opportunity that God is setting before it and uh, really doing what they need to do to be able to obey God, to move forward in the direction that God is leading them. So in a sense, it's just obeying the Great Commission. Yes, uh, and I believe God has a specific plan for every church. Uh, you know, He loves the church and he has uh, just great hopes and plans for every congregation. Uh, And so, uh, really, it's just getting in touch with where God is leading. All right, this figure that I quoted, a 70 to 80 percent of churches remaining flat in membership, is that uh, evangelical churches, Southern Baptist churches, or all churches? Uh, Well, it probably is going to be accurate for for evangelical churches in general, but that's in specific Southern Baptist churches. Uh, some, somewhere between 70 and 80 percent, or plateau or decline, depending on how you define plateau or declining. Uh, there's a number of different measures to do that. But, but basically, just as, as far as the experience, are there more people in the pew this, this next Sunday as there was the same Sunday last year? Uh, most churches are not seeing any growth at all. So what do you attribute this? I'm sure there are several factors. Uh, what's number one and two? Uh, pro- probably uh, the, the missing out on uh, the commission of, of Christ uh, the, the, to do evangelism to make disciples. Uh, the the uh, number two is is that we've gone through an era of tremendous change, uh, and uh, probably many congregations have kind of uh, have lost touch with the, the mission field that God's given them. All right, uh, you've got this project. It's called the Ezekiel Project, and it's named on Ezekiel thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a, a piece written for the uh, Texan, Southern Baptist Texan, called Can Dry Bones Live Again, referring directly to Ezekiel 37. So can you explain this vision for growing the church based on this particular uh, scripture? Uh, yes, uh, the, actually, the, it is one of those aha moments. Uh, I inherited the name the Ezekiel Project. Uh, some members of our executive board and Dr. Richards, our executive director, I think, kind of came up with that name. But it's really in studying that passage one day, uh, I just saw something. I, even though I preached on the passage many times, re- really, God not only gives us a great promise to restore His people in that familiar dry bones passage, but also He lays out really a, a pretty much a process by which he does that, and and really it, it it's one of those things as far as God's moving that's across the board. It's some of the, the highlights, we, there are five basic pieces to that. One is is that, that a church, to, to be able to revitalize, needs a fresh biblical vision from the Lord. 
but before uh, uh, anything happened in the Valley of Dry Bones, God basically gave that vision of what was about to take place to Ezekiel and you know, on that great command. Now, hear the word of the Lord. It was God's word spoken uh, that, that that made the difference. Uh, the the second thing that that uh, is a part of that process is is that the bones do come together, uh, and of course that is the symbolic mm-hmm. of the people of God coming together. Even in a church that has not experienced serious conflict, one of the things that we find uh, very, very often is is that key members have left. Some of the people that others in the church were attached to have been removed from the mix. And so really, to move forward, most declining or plateaued churches need to almost re-congregationalize. So there needs to be a fresh. What does that unit. mean? What does that word "recongregationalize" mean? Uh, well, really, uh, get the relationships uh, back close and and function together as a body. Uh, uh, basically, when you start pulling out key members that, that move away or die or leave because of various issues, uh, you know, people are attached to those people, and and so uh, when when congregations decline, that destabilizes the fellowship of the church, uh, and and a lot of times churches don't even realize what's happened to them. So, uh, let me ask you, Jim, my guest is Jim Gatliff, and he is with the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. Um, you know, we discussed earlier in the program the shooting that happened at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. And, of course, that church has gone through some very, very tough times with uh, their pastor, Ted Haggard, uh, with the moral problems, and he had to step down. He started the church. Mm-hmm. And then this horrible thing. Yeah. Uh, and yet, just, you know, a year after the Haggard debacle, the church was really getting strong and growing and mm-hmm. sort of stabilizing. And then this happens. Now, when something bad happens to a church, I mean, whether it be a moral problem, a split, what? how do you sort of capitalize on the opportunity of something bad and allowing God to turn it into something good. Uh, well, I, I've actually had some personal experience with that. Uh, one of the churches I pastored uh, formerly, uh, actually we had some teenagers that were involved in the Wedgwood shooting, and so uh, I, I can speak a little bit from personal really? experience in that. And, and that is a time for the congregation to draw close to one another, to wrap their arms of love around one another, and, and to, to, to minister to one another first and foremost. Uh, I'm sure in Colorado there is a media circus taking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be such a huge distraction to the congregation. So the leadership of that church, the uh, best thing they can do is, is just pull their people together and, and to pray and to minister and to talk and to, to go through the grief process. Uh, those are the, the key, most important things in a crisis. Okay, now I'm looking at some real success stories of churches that I know very well. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a danger uh, when a church has tremendous success, growth over a period of years, perhaps a pastor who is just, you know, very, very successful, not only in the church, but maybe has a, you know, a media presence also. What are the dangers there? Uh, well, certainly any ministry can be built around uh, an individual more so than being built around the Lord and, and his plan. Um, but in a sense, you know, if there's a talented individual, he's going to draw people, right? Well, th- th- that that is true, but uh, I believe that uh, wise individual that that Lord uh, puts in that position uh, will also discover that that uh, even though Jesus uh, had a very commanding presence, uh, he was wise to the, cultivate his disciples who were able to, to carry on in his absence. Uh, and certainly in the life of any church, any pastor is wise in cultivating uh, leadership, uh, and not just leaders that are able to get things done, but people that obey God and are willing to influence others to do the same, is the way I define spiritual leadership. 
All right. Another question. Uh, what about membership in a church? What role do they have in uh, either turning a church around that's declining or sort of giving a little kick to grow a little faster? Well, certainly, uh, you know, leadership and pastor has a has a, a key role in that. As a matter of fact, uh, Ed Stetzer in his Comeback Churches book puts it this way, a revitalized church needs a renewed pastor or a new pastor, uh, and one one or the other. But but the people also have a vital, important part of that. As a matter of fact, we, we one of the things that we do in our process is we lead the church through a, a study of Ezekiel 37, an alignment campaign, not unlike 40 Days of Purpose, uh, that helps them discover every member that they have an important role in, in going through the window of opportunity that God is setting before the church. So uh, if there is a church, uh, for, for instance, if there is a, a leader in a church listening right now or a pastor who's really experiencing these problems in their church, how could you help them? Well, the, the very first thing that, that we want to do is to sit down and listen to them and find out exactly what, what their needs are and where they sense that God's leading them in their ministry and, and in their church. And, and a lot of times uh, the, the, the pastors that I, I've talked to uh, in this, this process uh, they're tired. A lot of times they've gone through very difficult chapters, uh, and sometimes their church, even as we speak to them, are, is in crisis for various kinds of reasons. And so we, we, we start with listening, and we custom-tailor everything we do to the, the needs of that church specifically. But uh, we hit the three big buttons. Uh, one is to help the church with, with going through that window of opportunity. That's more strategy and consultation kind of stuff. Uh, we help the pastor in the leadership enrichment process that we have and getting connected with some coaching. Uh, and then we also lead the, the, the church to, and encourage the church to do that alignment campaign so that every member understands their part and it warms the spiritual temperature of the church as well. All right. Now, this is a question that sort of undercuts, uh, I guess, the stated purpose of the whole ministry. But I think it's something that, you know, we could discuss here at the end of this interview. And I thank you so much for joining me today. You bet. Uh, it's been very informative. But you know, is it even appropriate to worry about the size of a church? I mean, in a sense, uh, shouldn't churches be mainly concerned about discipling their members, building up uh, the spiritual lives of their members more than they should be about adding new members? Well, the the two obviously are are related. One one of the fallacies of of just looking at the history of a church on a bell curve uh, kind of thing is that it does miss out on the spiritual health of the church, the, uh, the growth statistics don't indicate the health necessarily, even though it may reflect it over time, does not show what the, what the Lord's doing in the life of that church. It, and that's why we, we like to use the term, what God has next for the church. Not a church that's constantly looking in the rearview mirror, but looking forward out the windshield of where God is leading them. And the momentum to go through that wind of opportunity, I, I use a very simple formula. It, it is our faithfulness times our fruitfulness. Our faithfulness is all about immediately obeying God when God leads. Our fruitfulness is all about the simple things like having people who pray and obey live the Christ life. Disciples that make disciples, leaders that reproduce leaders, groups that reproduce groups, church that plants churches. And mm. uh, that, that really gives us the mass <laughs> that we need, to use an analogy from physics. A lot of times the very resources that a church needs to move through the wind of opportunity that God is setting before it is right in the very harvest. And so the quickest way for a church to really to, to begin that revitalization process and prepare to go into the future is to focus on discipleship. It's to focus on evangelizing people and beginning to teach them to obey the commands of Christ. Jim Gatliff, uh, very quickly, uh, we're coming up on a hard break. How can people get in touch with you? 
Uh, the, the contact Sun Bass of Texas office. The number there is area code eight one seven five five two two five zero zero, and uh, they'll put you in touch with me at the Ezekiel Project. And also www.sbtexas.com. Jim Gatliff, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Next up, give us a call, 800-881-9270. Have you experienced any Grinches or uh, have you fought the Christmas wars? We'll take your calls. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. You're a vile one, Mr. Grinch. You have termites in your smile. You have all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile, Mr. Grinch. Given the choice between the two of you, I'd take the, um, seasick crocodile. Some people are just getting sick of the Grinches and uh, the war against Christmas. In fact, the leader of a British human rights group is now saying to those who are promoting worries about offending non-Christians... Keep your hands off Christian Christmas, and uh, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But we'd love to hear from you. Are you running into any Grinches out there as you are doing your Christmas shopping or celebrating Christmas? Uh, are there any retail outlets that are bugging you because they refuse to say Merry Christmas? Or are there some who are actually uh, acknowledging Christmas and not the holiday, quote-unquote, give us a call, 800-881-9270. We'll talk a little bit more about Christmas in just a moment, but I want to point something out, and that is uh, that um, there was a piece in the Drudge Report today talking about the rise of Mike Huckabee and uh, the fact that he is uh, shooting up in the national polls, and he's uh, he's basically number one in Iowa right now, and uh, you're not hearing a lot of criticism of him from the Democrats. It says Democrat Party officials are avoiding any and all criticism of Republican presidential contender Mike Huckabee, insiders from the Democrat Party, are saying this. In fact, the DNC has told staffers to hold all fire until he secures the party's nomination. This directive has come down from the highest levels within the party, according to a top source. Uh, Huckabee is known as the, quote-unquote, glass jaw, and they're just waiting to break it. So in the last three weeks since Huckabee's surge kicked in, the DNC has not released one single press release criticizing him. And uh, really what they're saying is they're going to wait until the general election and uh, then they're going to go after him. Uh, as a matter of fact, they've ignored all opportunities to uh, slam him from the left. Here's a quote. One senior Democrat says he'll easily be their McGovern, an easy kill. 
He's letting murderers out because they shout Jesus. He's wanting to put 300,000 AIDS patients and Magic Johnson into isolation. That's ridiculous because that was years ago when we first learned about AIDS. Also, he's not even scratching the surface uh, of what we've got on him. So the Democrats, uh, I guess they're just kind of building up their treasure chest of attacks against Mike Huckabee. Well, let's go to the phones. We've got lots of people calling in about Christmas. Kathy in Roanoke, go ahead. Hi, um, it's Lone Oak, but the reason I'm calling is you so impacted me the other day when you talked about Sears and calling them holiday trees, and they purposely did that, that I'm going to turn in my credit card that I had had with them for 31 years and let them know that they have offended me as a Christian, and I just won't be buying anything at their store anymore. Are you going to write them a letter to let them know this? Well, I'm going to turn it short, but if they tell me that I... I need to, like, write the president at a certain address or something, then I will certainly take that information and write a letter because I think the higher-ups need to know that, you know, it's going to impact those people that maybe have stood on the sidelines before. But I just won't do business with a company that purposely for the trees. I mean, instead of Christmas trees because they don't want to offend anybody. Well, they're offending me, and I've been a long-time customer of theirs, so they need to know that they, you know, that that's, that's what they're doing. So, Kathy, thanks so much for your call. call. This is uh, coming off of a story uh, from the other day where we said that Kmart and Sears offend Christians by trying to avoid offending other uh, religions. Uh, they're calling their Christmas trees, holiday trees, or simply trees in their advertising. Uh, Kmart is owned by Sears Holding Corporation. Well, this is the story that I mentioned out of Great Britain. Uh, it's a, kind of amazing, but uh, several groups, Hindus, Sikhs, and Muslims, have joined Britain's equality watchdog yesterday, they urged Britons to enjoy Christmas and quit worrying about offending non-Christians. In fact, uh, they've got, of course, a lot of Muslims there in in Great Britain and uh, those London attacks that happened. This has prompted reflection about Britain's attitude to ethnic minorities and debate about whether closer integration was more important than promoting multiculturalism. Of course, yesterday we talked about multiculturalism with Pat Buchanan and the fact that uh, the different groups are dividing. So this particular gentleman who uh, heads up the Equality and Human Rights Commission and they're in Great Britain. Those are usually the groups that uh, don't want you to talk about Christmas. He says that um, he is basically reflecting on media reports of schools who are scrapping nativity plays. Well, that's happened a lot in the U.S. And local councils who are celebrating Winterville instead of Christmas. Of course, that's the winter break in many of our schools. He says there might be an under- underlying agenda using this great holiday to fuel community tension. He says, why don't you just let everybody celebrate Christmas and quit bellyaching about it? What do you think? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. Jim is in Dallas. Hi, Jim. Hey, how you doing today? Uh, this is, uh, I hope you're having a Merry Christmas. I'm having uh, a very Merry Christmas. Thanks. Uh, I just don't know what's wrong with people today. It just seems like everything is changing and it's changing for the worse. I mean, uh, we're having all these shootings today, and we're having everybody that is, uh, our jails are packed. Uh, uh, people are, uh, are having all kind of domestic problems. You know, I can go back 25 years ago. It wasn't a perfect world back then, but, you know, everybody celebrated uh, holidays. Everybody got along. Everybody had that mentality to say hi when somebody... And it was sort of a time of goodwill, extra goodwill. Yes, and, and today, if all this stuff that they're doing was a positive thing and it was helping... I would be uh, I would be very very for it, but it, it, it's it's just uh, it's not a good time now, and and that's the only time you have a good Merry Christmas. 
and people can look and smile at each other and wish them something uh, in a Merry Christmas or whatever. It's just, uh, it's just people need to get back to people and, and start loving each other instead of trying to be so independent. Christmas should be a nighter, not a divider. Thanks, Jim, for your call. We appreciate it. Let's go to Eddie in Arlington. Hi, Eddie. Hi, it's Edie. Oh, Edie, I'm sorry. That's okay. Hi, Penna. Thank you for taking my call. I just have a couple of quick mentions on the Grinch issue. One is um, the U.S. Postal Service website um, uses holiday terminology, and so that's... uh, Why are we not surprised? Well, no, I'm not surprised, but I think that deserves a mention out there on the Grinch issue. Um, But a positive is I was at Walmart um, doing some shopping, um, and two things. One is I heard, um, what's that song, um, the Christmas Shoes, on mm-hmm. their radio at Walmart, on their, um, mu- their music at Walmart, where it was singing about When Mommy Makes Jesus Tonight. And so That's that wonderful. was a positive. And I bought scripture wrapping paper at Walmart also. And so I considered that quite a positive. Good report, Edie. Thank you so much for that call. And uh, that's a good report on Walmart at Christmas. Well, there's a survey out, a recent survey. Seven out of ten Americans prefer Merry Christmas over happy holidays in seasonal advertising. So most Americans would rather hear uh, Merry Christmas. Only 26% would choose happy holidays. And uh, this was a poll that was done a few weeks ago. Uh, 88% of Republicans prefer Merry Christmas. 57% of Democrats prefer the greeting. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, on Thursday, Jerry Jenkins, co-author of Left Behind, will join us. And uh, that ought to be a very interesting program. And uh, I've got to let you go now, but let me just say Merry Christmas. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.